James chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 18. And I do that. I know we've read it, but I, we're stepping through it, so I want the whole picture. So beginning in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Then if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. All right. It's a lot to read. <laughs> and I know I, I told you when we began this journey in James, I said that um, we're going to move more quickly than we did through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think we had spent quite a few weeks on that, 10 months almost on that. Uh, week by week, though, looking uh, is, you know, it's looking more and more like that may not be the case. Um, this is our fourth week in James. And if the Lord's willing, when we're done with this morning, we will uh, just be over halfway through the first chapter. Amen. And that's good. It's good to zoom in. It's good to, to uh, take our time with the Word of God. The, the problem I have in, in moving really quickly is that I, I don't like leaving money on the table. I don't like leaving things on the table. Um, so as I'm, I'm studying and I'm see this nugget here and that one there and this piece fits here and that piece goes with that and, and here's how this works together. You know, I'm, um, I'm also looking at this large section of text that we have, 18 some odd verses, uh, just in the first, first section of James. And, uh, and I have to decide how much do I want to zoom in? How closely do I want to zoom in? Because you know, if you ever used a microscope, when you zoom in on something, you, you don't see the whole Amen. picture. You see tiny little details the same, you know, on the converse is true. If you zoom way out, you can see the whole thing, but then you, you're missing some of the details. So I, I'm, I'm leaving a lot on the table week by week. I'm having to make choices uh, prayerfully and thoughtfully about, you know, where to zoom in and, and what to make of it when we do. 
And I'm just I'm trusting the Lord to lead me and guide me in that by His Holy Spirit to lead me into the truth of His Word and uh, application of His Word for such a time and such a place as, as this. So what I'm saying is, is this. When it, when it comes to the pace at which we chew uh, through the Scripture, I'm, I'm going to do my best to let the Scripture define what, what pace we go. I mean, I can make my plans. You know, we're going to do this quickly, and, but, you know, uh, those get changed. And we just have to be okay with that. So all that being said, we're going to try to chew up and swallow another little bit of Scripture this morning, another piece of Bible. So I want to zoom in on uh, about six verses this morning, uh, verses 12 through 18. So let's, let's read them again so that they're fresh in our minds. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures." Okay, so reading through that, there are a couple of questions that immediately rise for me. And if, if you are careful readers of the Bible, there should be some questions that come up for you as well. Um, mainly because of verse 13. James tells us that God cannot be tempted with evil and that he himself tempts no one. But I'm, I'm just going to bring up two examples from the Scripture that seem to stand in direct contradiction to that statement. These seem to create two huge problems for us in this text. And, and we need to solve these problems. We need to solve them biblically, rightly, and righteously. Otherwise, we don't have ground to stand on. We should just take James and throw it out. If we, can't, if we don't solve these problems. Biblically, rightly, righteously. So problem number one, as I see it, that it rises in verse 13. Let's take the first claim there. God cannot be tempted with evil. In other words, God is immune to any temptation towards evil. And yet, the Bible clearly tells us in three different gospel accounts that Jesus, who is God, was in fact tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And, and you might try to explain that away by saying, well, it, it wasn't real temptation for Jesus because he's God and God can't be tempted to evil. But Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but, we have, uh, but the high priest that we have is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's, that's how the English is translated. So how can James say that God cannot be tempted then? Problem number two. And this one is just one example of many in Scripture. Uh, James says that God does not tempt anyone. And we know both from personal experience 
and from the Scripture that everyone gets tested. Abraham was tested. Do you remember when Abraham was told to sacrifice his son Isaac? Let me show you something. Hebrews eleven seventeen talks about this, about Abraham and Isaac. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, tested, when he was tested, that's the text of the, of the Scripture, that's the same word in Greek that is translated as tempted in James. Same Greek word. It's translated all over the New Testament. You see it in numerous places over the New Testament. It's translated tempted. Uh, it's translated uh, trial, testing. Um, when James talks about trials of various kinds, count it all joy, my brothers. Back in verse 2, when you meet trials of various kinds, same word for trials. It's perazzo. That's the Greek word, perazzo. So Abraham was tested, same word, but, but God tempts perazzo. He, he doesn't perazzo anyone. That's what James says. So how can James say that God tempts no one when Abraham is clearly tested? So there are two problems, and I think we have to deal with these before we can move any further, before we can get at what it is that the Holy Spirit is saying to us by the Word today. So I'm going to move carefully because I don't want to play fast and loose with the Bible. I don't want to play fast and loose with words. You don't want to twist them to say something that they don't actually say. I could get up here and, and I could hoop and holler and I could spit and sputter and I could run and dance and jump and we could do all kinds of wonderful things to get you whooped up into a frenzy and you could walk out of here saying, man, that pumped me up today. And that's great. That's, I mean, there's a time and a place for that. I could, I could preach all day long, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And I could just talk about the goodness of God all day and how He means nothing but good for you and God loves you and God wants to do wonderful things for you. He wants wonderful things in your life. I could, I could do that all day long and pump you up and you could be so excited about God. On the other side of that coin, I, I could spend all day preaching condemnation. I could preach conviction under the Holy Spirit. I could preach sin and repent and you need to repent and fall under the, the glory of God. I fall under the, the holiness of God. I could, I could preach that all day long too. And there's a time and a place for those things. But that, that's, I don't see that as my call. Do, do you remember the parable of the sower? And there's the seed that's cast, right? The sower, he casts the seed. He's pretty indiscriminate about where he casts it because some of it goes to the wayside. Some of it goes on the dry ground. Some of it goes on the stony ground. And what happens to the seed that goes on the stony ground, the rocky ground? The, that, that's the people that Jesus, Jesus says, those people hear the word preached and they receive it with joy and it springs up with life in them, but because they have no root, when the sun comes up and the trials and cares of life comes up, they dry up and wither and blow away. What was the good of all that preaching? What was the good of all that joy and springing up? Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's good. Boy, he pumped me up. What was the good in all that if it just dried up and withered and blew away? Amen. Amen. See, I don't see myself as a pump upper. And some of you don't like that. Some of you want to hear fire, hellstone, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Some of you want to hear prosperity. Some of you want to hear just you know, all the good stuff, and you want me to pump you up and be a, a cheerleader, but that's not me. Amen. I see myself as a root builder. Amen. I, want, I want you to have root. Because without root, you don't have fruit. So you, you think, well, why, why do we spend so long? Why do we work through this? 
Why do we spend, you know, 10 months on the Sermon on the Mount? Gosh, it was, you know, grueling working through all that text by text. And now you're focusing on these little words here. You show, show me words. Just give me the whole picture. No, I want you to have root. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes. I want to build root in you Amen. so that when the cares of this world comes, when the trials of life comes, you have something on which to stand. Because I promise you, the Bible in you is going to be challenged by the people outside of you. And if all you've got in you is platitudes and and social media memes and little, little pieces of Scripture here and there, you will not stand in the day of adversity. My job is to build root in you. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a time and a place to pump you up and, and get you excited about God. That's, that's fine. I'm just not much of a cheerleader. I love him. Oh, don't get me wrong. I get excited about him. That's just not my call. So don't tune me out because you, you think I'm just not wild enough. We've got to look at some words. We've got to be careful how we move through the text because I want you to have root. I want you to understand and know what you believe and why you believe it. And not because I said it. Because I, it, it, anybody can be up here talking. You need to be able to look at the book and say, the book says. It doesn't matter what Jeff says. Jeff could be here today and tomorrow be just as deep in sin as all get out. You've seen it with prominent pastors all over. The, the devil has a mark on pastors' heads. Why? Because it makes the church look bad. And I, I'm not above sin. Their capacity for sin is well alive in me. I shouldn't say it that way. I am dead to sin, but I'm telling you that it's there. And it's in all of you. Amen. So don't trust me. Trust the Word of God. That's, it's my job to open it up so that you look at it and you think, ah, oh, there's gold here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. You know how you, you have a, none of this is, I'm so going to be over time. You have a watch. Like think about those old pocket watches, you know. They're beautiful to look at, right? I mean, they're pieces of art. And it's a watch. It's a utilitarian object. It's a piece of art. But then you open it up and you look inside and you see all the gears and all the little intricate pieces, how they were made and how they all work together, just fit together. And you just marvel. I can just marvel at the engineering that went into that. At the, and, and, when, and those old pocket watches, they didn't have computers to do their design and to do all the math. They had to do that all on paper and in their head. And they'd have handheld tools to, you know, file those gears down. They didn't have, you know, printers to, to laser cutters to cut that stuff out. They had to do it all by hand. I mean, you just marvel at how it all works together, how every part, every piece fits, and it, it does its job. That's, that's what we need to do when we read the Bible. We need to open it up and just marvel at how it all works together. I wasted too much time on that. We don't want to twist the word into saying something that it doesn't actually say. Here, here's what, let's get back to James. Here's what it does seem clear, though. It does seem clear that James has in his mind a, a difference, a difference between what it is to be tried and what it is to be tempted, Amen. even though it's the same word, even though when James is writing it, he's writing the same word, perazzo. 
Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet perazzo of various kinds. And on the same token, let no one say when he is perazzo that he is being perazzo by God, because God cannot be perazzo. Neither does he perazzo anybody. It's the same. So James clearly has in his mind that there are, there's something different between being tried in, the one, in that one sense and being tempted in the other sense clearly draws a distinction between those two things. So our task in this text this morning is to be good gold diggers, good root builders. we got to get in, we got to dig, and we got to see what is it that James is trying to tell us. What does he mean? Now, the Bible translators, those who have taken the Bible from Greek into English, have done their best to try to give us distinctions. That's why we see two different words, trials and temptations. That's why we see it translated differently. If you remember from last week, I said that verse 12 of, of James chapter 1 um, is a very important verse. There's, there's quite a bit uh, of, uh, of, of what James is saying in, in the chapter 1. There's quite a bit that hangs on verse 12. And, and we've, we've touched on it a few times over the last few weeks. In order to get at what we need to get to today, though, we, we're going to have to back up a few steps in the text and go back up to verses 2 through 4. Now, when we started James, we, we covered that. We're going to have to look at it again to see what we need to see in verse 12 today. So let's take a few steps backwards. Let's read James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James says, after his greeting in verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, that's the same word, peyrotso, of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So, perazzo, trials, produces tested faith. Testing of your faith, that's tested faith. Remember, we talked about that early on. A faith that is tested and genuine produces tested faith. Perazzo, trials of various kinds, produce tested faith, and tested faith produces steadfastness. That's endurance, that's staying power. So the trials here, the, the perazzo here, here James tells us this is a good thing. You ought to rejoice over this. Rejoice over these trials. In verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. So what is the full effect? That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But what does it mean to be perfect and complete? Well, that, that's the full effect of steadfastness making us complete making us without lack. And that is produced by tested faith, which is produced by trials, perazzo. So that makes us complete. What is the completeness? Okay, skip back down to verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. You see the connection. Under trial, perazzo. That's the tested completeness, the, the completeness that we get from our tested faith. The man who remains steadfast under trial is blessed. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. So there it is. There's the, the completeness that James is referring to. Everlasting life. No more death. No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more sin. No more desire for sin. No more capacity for sin. It's eradicated in the 
the new, new creation. So complete, whole, alive in Jesus Christ forever and evermore. Amen? amen. Someone ought to say amen. amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But look at what he says next about the crown of life, about this completeness that is our reward for steadfastness that comes from tested faith because we are peratsoed, we're tested. He says that it is promised by God to those who love Him. Now, now just based on what James has just said in, in this verse, you would think that the crown of life would be promised to those who remain steadfast under trial. Right? Do you see that? You'd think that's, that's who gets it. Those who remain steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. For the man who remains steadfast under trial will receive the crown of life, which God has promised not to the person who remains steadfast under trial, but to those who love him. So that's not really the test, is it? Steadfastness. The test is, do you love God? Isn't it? That's who the crown of life is promised to, to those who love God. And James connects trials, perazzo, to tested faith, to steadfastness, and all that is revealed within, not, not how strong-willed we are, not how well we're able to... to, to uh, to not deviate or keep rules, but to whether or not we love God. The crown of life, that completeness that James talks about, is only promised to those who are in love with their Creator. Remember, James is telling us, this is, this is what it is in his letter, his epistle. He's telling us this is what it means to have active, alive, saving faith well, the most famous scripture in James, faith without is, all right, that's, that's the, James, that's what he's getting at. This is a live, active, living, saving faith in practice. Amen. Jesus spent, you know, three chapters, the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, telling us this is the way. Amen. There is a hard way that leads to life, and this is it. And now James comes in and says, let me show you, practically speaking, what the way looks like. When you are alive in faith, I want you to see how that is walked out and worked out in your life. Because faith without is dead. I don't want you to have dead faith. I want you to have alive faith. And, and so we, I want you to have a life. So we're going to look at live faith. That's what James is doing for all the churches, all the Christians who are part of the, the diaspora, who have been... Um, who are in exile, who are abroad. They're not near Jerusalem. They're out in the world. So it's not like, hey, just do what you do. This is what active faith looks like. Did not Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Tested faith, genuine faith is born out of love for God. That's why God promises the crown of life to those who love him. Because those who love him will be steadfast. Those who love Him will have their faith tested and will, will persevere. Amen. Amen. That's the kind of testing that we see there in the first part of James. 
and it's, it's translated. So then there are trials. Perazzo, same word. There are trials that ought to make us sing. James says, count it all joy. There are trials that ought to make us sing for joy. And what is it that we sing? Oh, how I love Jesus. And I know this. That's what I'm supposed to say. Because he says that crown of life that's my goal is promised to those who love him. So there there are trials, James says, that we ought to be happy for. That are come to us. And and, and look, it's called trials. It's called testing. So it hurts. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. But they ought to make us rejoice and sing for joy. Oh, how I love Jesus. That's the kind of testing or, or temptation, or perazzo, as, it's, uh, as it is in the Greek, that Jesus faced. Perazzo, to show the genuineness of his love for God. Amen. That's the kind of testing that Abraham faced with Isaac. Perazzo, to show the genuineness of his love for God. In fact, genuine, in Genesis 22, where the whole episode with Abraham and Isaac plays out, that you know, you remember the angel, Abraham was, was ready to do what the Lord said, offer his son up. And the angel stopped him and he said, don't, don't touch the boy because now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son from me. And, and you might say, well, well, he said fear, not love. Um, but Psalms 112 tells us that to fear the Lord is to delight in him. That's, that's the root of love. So it's the same thing. God's saying to Abraham, I I know that you revere me, you trust me, you love me, and and you know it too because you've been tested and you passed. Perazzo. So that's that's one side of the coin. There's a testing that we ought to rejoice in as James sees it, and then there's a testing that we ought to run from, temptation that we ought to run from. The other side of that, that coin that James presents to us Remember, he seems to have a clear distinction between testing trials and temptation. And so on the other side, we've got to move on in the text in a few verses. Chapter, or chapter 1, verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, perazzo, I am being tempted, again, perazzo, by God, for God cannot be tempted, perazzo, with evil, for he himself tempts, perazzo, no one. And yet, that's what we're struggling with. How is it that God cannot be tempted with evil and yet Jesus was tempted? God cannot tempt anyone or God does not tempt anyone and yet we are all tested and tried. Let's work through James's definition of temptation. Remember, trials testing ought to make us sing for joy. Oh, how I love Jesus. That's one side. Temptation is something we should run from. That's the other side. Let's work through this in verse 14. James says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. So there's a luring and an enticing involved in in temptation. When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. That's important, the then there. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So right here we know that temptation comes from within ourselves. 
You were tempted when you were lured and enticed by what? Your, yeah, your own desire. By what's in you. You're lured and enticed by what comes from you. But desire, our own desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. So that the reward for continuing in sin, what does it say that happens if you continue in sin? You, you get death. But that's the opposite of the reward that you get for steadfastness, for loving God. Right? As best as I can make out, James delineates trials from temptation by their source. Trials and testing, that peirazzo that James says that we ought to rejoice over, that we ought to sing, oh, how I love Jesus over, those seem to come from outside ourselves. And we are presented with circumstances and situations and external stimuli, and we must face it. And it could be someone cussing you out or cutting you off on the street. It could be sickness in your body. You know, you, you get sick. That, that, that's actually an external stimulus. When we're talking about the division between soul and spirit and joint and marrow, body and spirit, there's an external stimulus of sickness. It could be something as simple and as uh, natural as hunger. But it's, it's uh, presented to you circumstantially. Okay? How we respond internally, spiritually, that's where the test of faith ends, the perazzo that we ought to sing over, and the temptation from self begins, the perazzo that we ought to run from. Remember, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. I'm going to focus on Jesus as an example for the next few minutes because he is both fully God and fully man. So we can cover all the bases. Amen. All right? It's in Matthew 4. I'm just going to paraphrase. You want to check me later. Remember the circumstance of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and the Bible says he has, was fasting and praying, and the Bible says he was hungry. Right? He was hungry. So, Question, is hunger a natural, legitimate desire? Yes. It is, it is, we are designed to feel hunger. Especially if you've not eaten in 40 days. Right? It's a natural, legitimate desire. There's nothing sinful at all about being hungry there's certainly nothing sinful about it, about wanting to eat, wanting bread, if you haven't eaten in 40 days, when you're close to starving. But it's at that weakness, right? That's where Satan came in to tempt, perazzo, with bread. Same word, by the way. Not just any bread, though. He tempts him with divine bread with miraculous bread. You say to these stones to be turned into bread. If you really are the Son of God, you, you do this. God hasn't provided it for you. You do it. 
You make it. You have the power to do it. You do it. You step out on your own, Jesus, and you end your hunger. Jesus was tempted, peirazzo, tested. And yet James says that God cannot be tempted with evil. So let's look at at Jesus on this side as, as God in the flesh. There is evil afoot. Satan wants Jesus, who is God, to go against the will of God and the design of God in the plan of God. But Philippians 2 gives us a picture into the character of Jesus as God. It says, Jesus, who though he was, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no disobedience in God. So there's there's no way that Jesus, who is God, could be tempted to do evil by his own desire. Remember, that's where temptation comes from, from his own desire. He couldn't be tempted to do evil by his own desire, which, you know, but he is tested With trials, it ought to make us sing for joy. Oh, how I love him. James has a different idea in mind for trials and temptations. That's how he differentiates it. On the human side of the equation, if any of us were standing in in the place of Jesus there, there is a point in this test where we could have easily crossed over from the testing of our faith which ought to make us sing for joy. Oh, how I love Jesus. And we cross over from that into the temptation from self where we are lured and enticed by our own desire and then that desire gives birth to sin. Let me try to show it to you this way. Desire that is conceived. Usually when we think about this, uh, desire that is conceived, we're going to think about uh, some kind of sinful action, putting our hands to to work in sin, all right? Um, But I don't want you to fall into the trap, and we shouldn't fall into the trap of thinking that this only means something that we physically do. Desire conceived that gives birth to sin can happen completely inside yourself. It can be something that that is completely unbeknownst to anybody else but you. Not something you have to actually put your hands to work at. You put your mind to work at it, that's for sure. Remember, let's, let's take lust, for example. Remember what Jesus said about lust. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Right? So, okay. Test, guys. Test. And I guess ladies, too, just reverse the genders. Uh, a, a very attractive woman walks in front of you and you see her. And that's, that's a test. That's a trial. That, there's, there's perazzo there. Temptation. You see her. You desire her. 
And okay, now you're skirting very closely to, very dangerously to desire that is conceived, which brings, gives birth to sin. So test, really attractive woman walks in front of you. You see her. Temptation, you see her, you desire her. What do you do? Run! <laughs> Run! Get away from it. Go away from it. Avert your eyes. Think about something else. Sing a praise song. Sing a hymn. Oh, how I love Jesus. Look at your wedding ring. Whatever you got to do, run from that. But desire conceived, birthed into sin. Now you start to undress her in your mind. No one knows. You didn't get up and do anything, but it happened. Right? It happened. Why? Because of your own desire. Did God put that lust in your heart? No. That's the fallen nature of man. Let me give you a personal example, if I could. Several years ago, my uh, family and I went to Florida to the beach. All right? We were going to be there for a week. And uh, leading up to this, I'm not going to lie, I was genuinely concerned about it. We're going to be on the beach in Destin, Florida, and there are going to be all kinds of very attractive, very, very fit, very nearly naked women flaunting themselves and parading themselves all over the place. And not just on the beach, but you know, they don't put on clothes to go to the store either. They wear what they wore from the beach into the restaurant. So everywhere we go, there is no avoiding. I'm not going to be surrounded by sanctified, gospel-filled, Holy Ghost, modest people. I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm going to be in front of a, of a people of unclean spirits. There is no way I'm not going to see any of this. No way. And, and you know, I'm telling you, before we went on the trip, this weighed on me. What, what am I going to do? I don't, I don't want to fall into any traps here, right? The whole time we were there, I was extremely conscious about my thoughts. More conscious than I would have been anywhere else. Very conscious about my thoughts. Very conscious about my personal desires, Right? I cannot let this test spill over into temptation, spill over into lust. I, I just can't do it. Because listen, I, I'm, I'm a human being. And by virtue of being human, the capacity for lust exists within me. It's there. And, and, and it exists within you. I promise you it's there. Don't shake your head at me like, oh, no, never. I you're a liar. Thing is, thank you, James, for making me aware of this. Run from this mess. I had to be very careful and pay attention to what I was thinking and to what I was seeing. I had to make it a point. You ever try to not notice something? I had to make it a point not to notice. 
I had to make it a point to uh, divert my eyes when, when, you know, Blondie walked by. Or Brunetti or Redheady, whatever. I had to make a point to look somewhere else. Okay, I see it. It's there. Okay, we're going to talk about Hey, Dad, how are you? I had to make a point not to fix my eyes on anything that would cause me to drift into temptation. That's something I had to be mindful of. And why did I do that? Why not just, just enjoy the view? Why not? Two things. Number one, the love of the Lord. I love Him, and His ways are righteous. And I believe that. It's good for me not to get engaged in that mess. Number two, almost just as important, but not quite. I really love my wife. I love her. And that would dishonor her. So the test, the trial, was the circumstance I was in. You know, I, I went there and there's a circumstance. It's external, very external to me. The temptation would come from within me, from my own desire. But, you know, having passed that test, and I, I, did, I did pretty good. I'm not going to lie, I did pretty good. Having passed that test without giving in to sin, my faith is tested Genuine. Right? There's gold in here. We talked about that. This brings me to verse 16, and I'm almost done. Thank you for lingering with me. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, we talked about this some last week, but... Here's the point. Every good gift, every perfect gift, every good, perfect thing that comes to me comes from God. Is food good? Oh, man, you bet. God gave us hunger so that we could be able to enjoy the gift of food. It's a good and perfect gift. Is it possible for our desire for food to lead us into gluttony? Oh, yeah. Is rest good? Oh, I love a day off. Didn't God give us a Sabbath for that specific to rest? But is my desire for rest and relaxation able to go too far into laziness and slothfulness? You bet. Is sex good? Yeah. You bet. It's a good and perfect gift. God, it's so powerful of a gift and so good of a gift, God set up a sandbox. He said, here, play in this sandbox. Enjoy it rightly. Here's here's the rules around it. Is it possible for sex and my desire for that to lead me into lust? Yeah. Doesn't make the gift any, any less. There are tests and trials everywhere. And James says that those are a good thing, even the suffering that we face. We talked about sickness earlier. Even when we are sick in our bodies, how, you know, we can desire to be well, desire to be rid of pain or whatever to such an extent that we forsake the one who made us. 
that we turn our hearts against him and say, you did this to me and I don't like you anymore. Isn't that what Paul faced when he said, Lord, take this thorn from my flesh? And three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. And so what did Paul say? I will glory all the more of my weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, how I love Jesus. Thank you for the trial. Now, he could have taken that trial, that external sickness, that thorn, and because of his own desire, let it lead him into cursing God. And we could all do that. So even our suffering, James says that we should sing for joy over it. Oh, how I love Jesus. Do you remember that song? Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. What's the point? What's the point? Because he first Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Don't read past that too quickly. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, none of what comes before Singing for joy, oh, how I love Jesus, over our trials. Resisting temptation, not falling off into our own desires and moving into sin. None of Tested genuineness of faith, the crown of life that is given to those who love God. Love for God cannot be had it not been that he loved us first and gave his son to die for us. Loving God enough to stand the test of faith, to run from temptation to self, to deny ourselves. Remember Jesus said, take up your cross. If anyone follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. Loving him is not possible to do except that he loved us first and he brought us forth by the word of truth. So, church, give glory to God this morning for the trials and the tests that he's carried you through. Hallelujah, thine the glory. Oh, how I love Jesus. It hurts, but I love you. Now, I know there are some of you who have been through some things. You've seen some trials. You've been through situations. You've had loved ones that you've watched wither and die. And, you, and through it all, you say, thank you, Jesus. I love you. You didn't let me go. You didn't let me release my grasp of you. How I love you. Thank you for keeping me. So glory in God for the trials that he's carried you through. And because none of us are perfect and we are all prone to sin and the, and the capacity is within us because we live in a fallen world and we won't be rid of it until the new creation because I know that some of us are, you know, some of us do better than others. Some of us don't. Glory to God and for what he's carried you through. And throw yourself upon the throne of his mercy. You know what his seat is called? Mercy. Amen. For a reason. Amen. 
The Bible says that if, if you ask God to forgive you, He is faithful. That means He's, always, he's going to do it. He's faithful to do it and just. That means it's the right thing for him to do, to forgive. Hallelujah. There's nothing but hope here, folks. Because he loved you first. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior, our propitiation. Lord, you have given him as a gift and it, we are so glad to receive him. Father, we love you. I ask now that you, you let the word of your truth rest upon us, Lord. Let it linger in our hearts. Father, build root with this seed that it may spring forth into fruit. Help us to, to go out and, and build your kingdom, loving others as you have loved us. Father, keep us in your perfect will and your perfect way that we too may receive the crown of life. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.